Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is one of those Sundays when several important plot lines converge in a very significant way. First, today is Communion Sunday, one of those special Sundays of the year when we come together as a family of Christ and gather around the Lord's table for the sacrament of Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, as we also call it, the Eucharist. Today is also the first Sunday in November, and the first Sunday in November is always set aside to remember all of those blessed saints and precious brothers and sisters who have in the last year passed away and are now in the presence of the Father. As the ancient church described them, they have moved from the church militant, that's us, to the church triumphant in the presence of the Father. You'll find a listing of those who passed this year in your bulletin. But today is also the day that we as the church begin a season of dedication and stewardship. It's a time of year that we set aside to recommit ourselves to supporting the mission and ministry of the church. And over the next couple of Sundays, we're going to be talking about your role in supporting that ministry and how we come to celebrate and support what God is doing in and through First Presbyterian Church. And then, of course, on the 21st, we're going to have our dedication Sunday when we make our commitments to put our own lives, our own time, talent, and treasure into the ministry and work of God's kingdom through First Presbyterian Church. Now, as we talk about all these themes, I want you to understand that all three of these items, all three, all three of these things, All Saints Day, communion, and stewardship, have a common theme. And that common theme is the theme of gratitude. And so with those converging ideas in mind, we're going to turn to the words of the prophet Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations. If you would, look at chapter 3, verses 19 through 26. You'll see it up on the screen behind me. It is in your pew Bible or in your own Bible if you brought it with you. But hear now the word of God. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Amidst the changing words of our generation, speak to us your eternal word that does not change. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. If you'll indulge me for a second, I want to show you a picture that I just keep pulling up on my phone. Can you see that? Do you recognize that picture? That's a picture that was taken from up here in front of the communion table on 
our 175th anniversary Sunday. Now, I actually took a couple of pictures. One was a selfie, but I didn't show you that picture because in that selfie, it's nothing but Bob face in the middle. It looks like one of those Macy's Thanksgiving Day balloons that's going down the street. So I did not include that, but, but it's not, it's not a, it is a good picture, but I, you'll notice I had, to, I had to like stitch it together. Actually, it looks like the guys in the tech booth did a better job of stitching it better together than I did. But I, I, had to, I wanted to get the whole panorama of everybody who was here that day. And, and I know that if, if you're like me and my kids, you're probably looking up there squinting, trying to see, can I see, can I see my face? You know, if you knew you were here, you know what? You can actually tell a remarkable number of faces. You, you can zoom in and see even the people on the back row. And it's really cool. But this picture is such a comfort, it's such a joy to me. What I love about this picture is that the resolution is really good and I can zoom in and I can see all your faces. And this picture just gives me goosebumps because it reminds me that these faces, these faces represent seven generations of ministry in this community. 175 years of ministry and community in the name of Jesus Christ. And it makes me think of Paul's letter to the Philippians. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Whenever I see this picture, I thank my God when I remember you and I think about you. And pictures like this are important. Pictures that make us remember people and call to mind special events are important because history is important. You know, history is not just about dates and events. It's about people about people who have lived and worked, who have struggled and succeeded together through great times and through hard times. And one of the greatest blessings of celebrating 175 years of ministry and community is the opportunity to give thanks for all the ways that God has blessed us over the years. Now, our 175th anniversary landed in a year that we never expected. As we moved from 2020 to 2021, we began our 175th anniversary in the middle of a global pandemic. The pandemic then became a season exposing deep racial wounds and generational grievances. It exposed deep cultural divisions that led to political bitterness and the fragility of everything from marriages to mental health came to light. And it put to the test, put to the test the limits of tolerance and civility and friendship. And you know what? There were times in the last year when I thought to myself, maybe this is not the time. Maybe this is not the year to have a big party celebrating the birthday of the church. I mean, after all, Bob, read the room. Do we need to have a party right now? Do we need to be celebrating history when history itself is so divisive? Are we being tone deaf to the world around us? But then at one of my lowest points, the Holy Spirit drew me to, of all books, the book of Lamentations. You'll remember I wrote a pastoral letter about this back in September. Lamentations is not a cheery pick-me-up. The name of the book says it all. It is Lamentations as advertised. It's five chapters of desperate, broken-hearted angst over the total collapse of the nation. 
The book of Lamentations in the Old Testament is the record of the words of the prophet Jeremiah as he watched Jerusalem burn in 586 B.C. In this book, personal fear collides with national disaster. It describes the collision between national disaster and personal fear of grief, of pain, and regret written by a prophet who feels that he and his people have been tossed overboard into the waves of a tumultuous ocean. It is angry, it is dark, it is desperate, and it is chaotic. And he writes things like this. I've been hunted like a bird by all those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed in over my head and I said, I'm lost. He has made my teeth to grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. My endurance has perished. And so has my hope from the Lord. That's pretty low. Very low indeed. The words of Jeremiah were ominous and sobering. But as I was reading, feeling the Holy Spirit pulling me through this book, when I finally reached the halfway point, I discovered something. An array of light broke through the clouds. And Jeremiah declared, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Great is your faithfulness. In the middle of his lamentation, we discover Jeremiah's declaration of faith. In this boiling ocean of lament, here is an island of peace built on the rock more steady than the foundations of the earth. It is a place upon which the prophet and upon which we may find our footing. Where did Jeremiah's hope come from? In one of the most difficult times of his life and of, his, of the history of his people, the prophet Jeremiah discovered faith. Faith based not on worldly belief or optimism, but on the faithfulness of God. Trust, based on the rely not on the reliability of our knowledge or what we see in this broken world, but based on the trustworthiness of God. Confidence based, not on the confidence that we have in others or our world or in ourselves, but based on our confidence in God. These are the things that Jeremiah rediscovered in one of the most difficult times of his life. The prophet Jeremiah reminds us that our confidence is grounded in these things and in the memory of the Father's blessings of the past. It's grounded in our awareness of God's love in the present and the expectations of God's faithfulness for the future. The memory of the past. He says, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed within me. This, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Love in the present. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. And expectation for the future. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for them, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. We're going to be talking about those three things over the next few weeks. And today we're going to talk about memory because memory is one of the pillars of our faith. 
memory of the past. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me, but this I call to mind. Remember that phrase, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. I love this phrase, but this I call to mind. Faith remembers and begins with what God has done. Jeremiah said that when things were at their worst, he remembered what God had done for him and for his people. The fact is, we are all in the middle of it. Whatever it is, whether it's the collapse of the nation in 586 BC or the craziness of the world in 2021 and 22, whether it is a national crisis like a pandemic or a personal crisis like a scary diagnosis or a broken marriage. And that's why we need to talk about our history. And we need to talk about the people who've gone before us. And we need to be reminded, we need to remember how God has been faithful to us, not just in our own lives, but from generation to generation. And that's why we gather around this table. We gather around this table to remember what God has done for us. This table, this, this Lord's Supper, reminds us of two things for which we may be most thankful. First, communion calls to mind that God gave us his son as the proof of his love for us and his power to make a difference in our lives. On the night before he was crucified, Jesus gathered his beloved disciples around the table and he broke bread and he took the cup and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take you all of it and do this, listen to this, in remembrance of me. When we come to this table, we do so first because God wants us to remember the real sacrifice, the real presence, and the real love of his son, Jesus Christ. First of all, his real sacrifice. That he allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be poured out. That he gave up heaven to live the life that we could never live and to die the death that we could never endure so that we could have the joy that he created us to have. He did it through his real presence. The sacrament is not just a reenactment or a memorial to something that Jesus did 2,000 years ago. We remember that in the Lord's Supper, there is something supernatural that happens. The doctrine of real presence is the belief that in communion with our Lord, God the Holy Spirit puts his seal on us and brings us into the presence of Jesus Christ. When we gather around the Lord's table, we believe that he is here, that he is present with us and we are with him, that he is really present in this moment. And we remember his real love. And we remember that when the world needed him most, 
the Lord of hosts, got personally involved. The word became flesh to prove that God cares and that God loves us. Ephesians 5, 25 and 27 says that Christ loved the church. He loved the church and gave himself up for her. This, this sacrament is not just an abstract history lesson. It's a gift that we've been given to remind us that God's love, his presence, and his sacrifice are for you and they are for me. And when we taste this bread and when we drink from this cup, it is to remind us that what he has done, he has done for you. He's done for you. Not just for people a long time ago, and not just for other people. He did it for you. And so, when you take this bread and you drink from this cup, do it in remembrance of him. This I call to mind. But there's something else I also call to mind. The Lord's Supper also brings to mind the communion of God's people. The communion of the, saint, of the saints. The Lord's Supper is not just about what's on the table. The Lord's Supper is also about who's around the table. I want to take a look at that picture again. From the 175th. And I look at that picture and I see a church. And it calls to mind that this company of beloved friends has survived a pandemic together, has raised children together, has prayed together, has celebrated together, that we have endured a denominational schism together. We've survived tragedies and suicide together. We've survived and endured broken marriages and lost children together. We've survived divisive elections and summer riots together. We've endured mental illness together. But we've also built houses and schools together We've traveled all over the world from Malawi to the Holy Land to Mexico to Poland together. That we've walked with our homeless neighbors and walked with children in school, serving them with food and shelter and love together. That we have, yes, survived COVID, but that we've also grieved with those who've lost people to COVID during the pandemic. We've walked through all of these things while also singing together and laughing together and crying together. I look at this picture and I remember that we have sat in comfort and silence, comforting one another. And not just for the last 175 years, but in the last week. This is something that's happening right now. Now, when I zoom in, I can see your faces. And if I zoom in just to this section right back here, I can see my own family. And what I love is that because of your love for us, my family has blended in with this family. When I zoom in, I see some new faces. 
faces that I don't know and I can't wait to get to know. But if you look carefully at this, at this picture, you're going to see some faces that aren't going to be in it next year. If you look at that list on the back of the bulletin, you'll see a list of people who were all here last year but didn't make this picture. And we know that some of the people who are here now will not be here a year from now. But this table also calls to mind that those who are united in Christ Jesus are not separated forever, but will be reunited in his presence. And I thank God for that faithfulness. Therefore, says the author of Hebrews, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. One of God's greatest gifts and reminders of his faithfulness is the person or the people that have poured his truth into our lives. Every now and then we just need somebody who's going to remind us and be a reminder that God loves us. I'm going to pick on him because he's here today, but you all know because he's such a good friend to so many of us, Ed Moore, right over here. Have you ever had Ed Moore walk up to you and say, just randomly, has anybody asked you, excuse me, has anybody told you that they loved you today? Ed does that just about every time I see him. And he doesn't necessarily know this, but there have been times when I desperately needed to hear that somebody loved me that day. That is something that you can do. It's something we are all called to do. Because God has given us the communion of the saints to remind one another of his great love for us. The most potent reminder of God's faithfulness is the presence of his church in the world. God has given us to one another to remind one another of his great faithfulness. Through the things we say and through the things that we do. For all of this, we give thanks. The ancient name for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is the Eucharist. And the Greek word Eucharist means thanksgiving. When we gather around this table, we are not doing it to fulfill an obligation, but to remember and give thanks for what God has done for us. So you may be wondering, how does all of this tie into our stewardship campaign? Well, it ties in in this way. Communion and stewardship are both about what, remembering what God has already done for us. Because just like faith, gratitude is a function of memory. It's about, what, it's about remembering what God has done for us. You want to hear an interesting bit of history? I've done some exploring over the last few weeks because people keep asking me, when are we going to start passing the plate again? When are we going to start doing that? And I, I discovered something. It was something I was tipped off to by Ligon Duncan 
our speaker at the 175th. He said, do you know what the greatest contribution that, a, that the American church has made to the liturgy of the church is? We were the first ones to inject the offering. Isn't that typical? <laughs> the offering really didn't exist, at least not in its present form, until, until the church came to North America. But actually it is present in earlier services of worship, but the placement of it is significant. The offering used to be referred to simply as the collection for the poor. And you know where it took place? It took place as part of the communion service after communion. Why is that? It's because Christians before us knew that giving is always preceded by thanksgiving. That gratitude is always the foundation of our mission and our faith. That communion has to be the basis of our stewardship. Psalm 126.3 says, The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Jeremiah's words about God's faithfulness don't come at the end of the book of Lamentations as a happy ending. No, they come right in the middle to remind us that God is in the midst of the storm with us and that he is, in fact, the eye of the storm. And I don't know what storm you're living in right now, but today I want you to come to the table because here God is reminding you not only of what he has done for us, but who he has put in our lives so that we will have a firm foundation to face whatever it is that comes to pass. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come together today, as we begin this month of November, as we prepare for our own season of dedication, we ask that you would help us beginning at this table to remember your great love, your great grace, and all that you have done for us, not simply through what we learn and what we hear, but by the fellowship of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ, the church. Lord, awaken us in this moment so that we may remember you and give thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.